coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 7th of May, 2023, the circumcision and baptism of Christ. One of those things that happened, happened to me again this this week. I had uh, picked a, a portion of God's Word to study. I started working on it, preparing it for a message, and... It got longer and longer and longer, and I'm going, but we've got the Lord's Supper here. So all the songs that I picked out and the title for the message are for next week's message. So we'll just do them all again, I guess, next week. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me Colossians chapter 2. We looked last week at the authority that Christ has and why we ought not to look anywhere else. Because he is high and above all others. And he, in him, salvation resides. Our spiritual life is found. And Paul continues that because he's really still speaking against the false teachings that were going on. And, and uh, were rampant in the church. Not just in Colossae, but seeing as how this letter was to Colossae. He's addressing them here. So let me back up for a moment and uh, go to verse 9 of chapter 2, and then we'll get to the section for this morning. In verse 9 it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And there we have that summary statement about uh, the high position that Jesus Christ alone holds. But he goes on from there, and he goes, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, that you, in which you also were raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we're introduced to two concepts that Apostle Paul links together in these two verses. And that is the idea of the circumcision of Christ and the baptism of Christ. Now we have to be careful about some of these words. Because when he talks about the circumcision of Christ, it wasn't Christ who was circumcised. It was the circumcision that Christ is doing. Okay? And the same thing. It's not talking about the baptism of Christ. We can read about that in the Gospels. But this is the baptisms done by Christ in the life of believer. So our first question is, 
What is the circumcision of Christ? In order to understand the concept of circumcision, and some of this will be review, well, it might be review for all of you, I don't know. It says, let's talk about the foundation behind circumcision of Christ, and that goes to the circumcision that's discussed in the Old Testament. We see it introduced in the scriptures in the time of Abraham. Abraham had been picked out of Ur of the Chaldees. God has said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then in the process of him moving to this promised land and in the promises that he's made and making him a great nation, we come to Genesis 17. In, in Genesis 17, and I invite you to turn there with me, um, we'll see the introduction of, of this thing called circumcision. Now, circumcision is not uncommon to today even. Uh, it's usually done when a child is fairly newborn and before they're sent home with mom and dad for a male child to be circumcised, physical cutting uh, the foreskin. And it's used as a symbol here in a picture in the Old Testament. And it's helpful for us to know what the circumcision of Christ is by knowing what it was in the Old Testament. We come to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout all your generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall, be, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight, years, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Interesting little sidebar here. You go, why circumcision on the eighth day? It says, it wasn't until more recent times that we discovered that Doctors discovered, scientists discovered that on the eighth day, the K factor in, in children goes way up. And that's the clotting factor. And so today, they don't wait eight days because they don't keep a child in the hospital that long. Well, they do. They give them a shot. And, and that clotting factor then helps with the circumcision. But a little aside there, medical aside. Okay, And he says, this should be a sign of a covenant. Okay, And he says, it's to happen to every male through your generations, born in your house, or bought with your money, a foreigner who is not your offspring. Um, and across the board, anyone who's going to be a part of this covenant needs to be circumcised. And you see the importance of it in verse 14. 
Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay? So this was a sign then of this covenant relationship between his people and his God. The question might come up in your hearts and minds, if you're inquisitive, who would know? I mean, you, you got somebody who's in your midst. How do you know if that guy has been circumcised or not? I mean, they were modest. We go back into the into Genesis record. We know that when when uh, Noah came out of the ark and then he he crushed some grapes and it turned fermented and he got drunk that his sons went in and and basically they walked in backwards to cover his nakedness. There was a sense of privacy, a sense of modesty. So how would everybody know whether you've been circumcised or not, guys? point was it wasn't a sign between one man and another man within the covenant it was a sign between one man and his God so certainly the man would know if he was circumcised and God would know and that's enough so the idea of circumcision was an in individual relationship concept that God instituted in the Old Testament to signify I have a special relationship with each person within this covenant relationship and the men had this mark on them this physical uh, circumcision then was a sign of the covenant and you go, wow, okay. But that isn't all that we're told about circumcision in the Old Testament. We're hardly out of Pentateuch. In fact, we're not out of the Pentateuch before we read a verse like this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskins of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And you go, wait a minute. Foreskins of the heart, what is that? Well, if you go on to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Sounds a lot like Shema, the great Shema. The statement of the Old Testament that declared the relationship between God and his people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might. And Jesus picked up on that and says, that summarizes the law along with love your neighbor as yourself. But here he talks about circumcising our heart. He goes, wait a minute, we move beyond that physical thing. 
because even today the Jews might identify their role in society with participation, especially the Orthodox, participation in all signs of the covenant, including circumcision. But Jesus talks about this matter of the heart as well. But before we get out of the Old Testament, you may be familiar with a passage in Jeremiah 31. Listen to what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. How with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their heart. And use it to describe this idea of the circumcision of the heart. And he goes, wait a minute. So if, if the circumcision the physical circumcision was a sign of the covenant. What is this? This is speaking to the reality behind the physical expression. This is the idea of a right relationship with the God, with their God. This is the idea of, of um, an indication of where a person's spirituality was. As I, as I said, even physical circumcision was, was between God and an individual, not between them and society. Backing up a little bit, I, didn't, I sort of skipped over a segment there in, in uh, Genesis. After God told him to Abraham he needed to be circumcised, in his household, guess what Abraham did? He got circumcised. Scripture tells us he was 99 years old when he got circumcised. And all the guys just winced. Yeah. God, but Abraham was obedient to the Lord. Was his heart right? Absolutely. But that's what he's speaking of. So now we come to the New Testament. Of course, most, most, most of the stuff was still going on. And we go to the book of Acts. And I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15 for a moment. And we're seeing what's now leading up to Paul's argument to the church at Colossae. Paul and Barnabas had been on the missionary journey, and now we're returning with a message of, of salvation that had gone out to Jews and Gentiles alike, and those that had gotten saved, and they're coming back into Jerusalem. And I'm going to skip through some verses here. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, first of chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And after Peter, Peter Paul, and Barnabas had no small dissension and, re, and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Because the link was to Judaism and the keeping of the law, there were those who were promoting this and saying, you can't get saved unless you're circumcised physically and then keep the law. And so that was going on even in Paul's first missionary journey before the writing of the, to the church at Colossae. So they came and they made their presentation and we read it in verses 4 and 5. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed at, by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I want you to notice here, were these unbelievers that said this? No, this was believers who were mixing the law with grace and saying both have to be done in order for a person to have a relationship with God. So we skip down a couple more verses. Down after the presentation, and it says in verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Interesting description here, Paul makes. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers or we have been able to bear? In other words, the law is, has one role. The role of condemnation. That's the role of the law. The law is holy altogether, but it can never get you to where you want to go. It will always tell you all the mistakes you've made along the way. And so a person who tries to keep the law will always find themselves failing. Anybody ever told a lie? Sinner! Yeah. And we can go right on down the list of the Ten Commandments and there's other statutes and things like that. And, and they go, we couldn't even do it. We, we were born into this culture. We were raised in this. We've eaten kosher all of our life. We've had, you know, we've tried to keep all the statutes. We've tried to keep all the laws. We've tried to do all the ceremonial offerings and everything, and we failed miserably. Now we want to lay it on somebody else. I love this statement, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they were is how did we get in? Grace. Grace. Mm -hmm. 
Someone want to add one more little nail to this coffin? And the distinction between the, the validity of physical circumcision and circumcision of the heart. Look at with me in Romans chapter 2, verse 25. He says in verse 25, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. In other words, if you're going to if you're going to try and keep the law, that's one of the elements. That's something of value. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. You go, wait a minute. How could my physical circumcision become uncircumcision? He says because we're talking about what goes on in the heart. And he says, if you say, I am set apart for God, I am circumcised in the heart, but I am disobedient to God. You've just become uncircumcised. So a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You go, oh, Paul, you're really confusing us now. He says, listen, you take a Gentile who has never gone through physical circumcision, but he gives his heart to Jesus and follows after the Lord. He says, won't that be regarded as circumcision? Hmm. Because the sign of the covenant was physical circumcision. The covenant was with the heart circumcision. He goes on and <laughs> poor, poor Jewish brothers. He says, for no one, verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter and his praise is not from men, but God goes, Amen! That's what I was really after. A heart after me. Not just a physical expression. So we come back to our, our passage here in verse 11 of Second Colossians chapter 2. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. What circumcision would you imagine that to be? One of the heart. He says, that's how you were circumcised. Why? The church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. If there were Gentiles in the mix, they never had been physically circumcised, more than likely. But he says, but if you've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And now he's talking about that heart one. 
So I ask the question, what is the circumcision of Christ? The circumcision of Christ means our Lord has put off the fleshly nature of our heart. But he's not done because he immediately begins to link this with baptism. Did you notice that? In this passage, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then he goes right into this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you go, I didn't even realize that circumcision of the heart and baptism were connected. Apostle Paul goes, oh yeah. Why? Because now he's talking about a different kind of thing. He's talking about the baptism of Christ. Baptism of Christ. And again, this baptism is not one where there's any water involved. He's not talking about going into a river, into a lake, into a baptistry, then going under the water and coming out. He's not talking about that. Much like the physical circumcision, baptism can be in an outward expression demonstrated physically, but it isn't reality when it comes to a right relationship with God. Apostle Paul links now the circumcision of the heart with the baptism of Christ. We know something of baptism in the, in the scriptures. We go back to Mark chapter 1. It says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, the, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so this water baptism was associated with the message of confession and repentance. So we come to one critical passage when it comes to baptism, and that's found in Romans chapter 6. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. And Paul begins this message to the church at Rome by saying, what shall we say then, a way to continue in grace, in sin, that grace may abound? Because here's what happened. He says, all of your sins, all your trespassers have been covered by the grace of God. And so you can see the evil heart of man <laughs> exposed because he goes, you know, if my sin is like dirty stuff on the floor, we'll just sweep it under the rug. It's all covered. God will take care of it. Pretty soon there's a big lump in our carpet, but it's all covered. 
And here was their faulty thinking. They were saying, you know, if, if God's grace is so great that it can deal with all my sin, then let's sin more to magnify the grace of God. And he goes, no, no. And he goes, by no means. What did somebody have a King James? What does it say? Anybody? Nobody has a King James. God forbid. <laughs> Greek may genito, may it never be. Are we to continue in sin? No. We come to a second principle. The grace of God and forgiveness of sin does not preclude holy living. Just because God's grace is out there and can deal with our sin doesn't say anything about holy living. Holy living should come because of a change that has gone on within our heart. Romans chapter 6 then, he goes, in verse 2, by no means, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then he comes to this whole picture of baptism, and the word baptized is used several times. Unfortunately, our word baptism is, is a made-up word. It should literally be immersed. And, the, and it came out of the dire trade. We've talked about this before. That you would stick a cloth into a vat of dye and hold it there and soak it in the, in the dye until when you pulled it out, it would now take on the color of the dye. And so the idea of immersion was certainly part of that picture of baptism. But he says, do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And so here's the entrance of a person into the death of Christ. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's go back to our passage here in Colossians. And you can see how it goes. He says, let's talk about the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. The word that Paul uses here, he says, when he died, we were with him as we died. He says, in which you also were raised with him. And don't overlook those two uh, phrases, with him, because it's part of that word again. He, we died when he died. He, when he rose to life, we rose to life if we're in him by faith.
verse 5 of chapter 6 of Romans, it says, If we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. And there's the picture. He died, and by faith we died with him. He rose by faith, we rose with him. So is Jesus Christ alive? Yes. What about us? Yes. If we have entered in by faith and we died with him and we were raised with him, we're alive too. In verse 6 he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 10 talks about this very thing. And come to our next principle. The baptism of Christ means that sin has no dominion in a believer's lives and we are free to live righteously. Okay. Now let's summarize what Paul is saying to the church here in Colossae. He goes, you've been circumcised, but it wasn't physical circumcision. It was one of the heart. You were baptized it didn't involve no water. So what? <laughs> so what? Why is this important? Because the religious uh, Judaizers were saying, you need to do much more. And Apostle Paul goes, you're alive. You have a new heart change. What else are you looking for? But we said the baptism without water can't be seen. And the circumcision of the heart can't be seen. So is it valuable at all? And the answer in our last principle these invisible transactions of our Lord should be visible to all as they examine our lives. In other words, if we're changed, if we're alive from the dead, if we now have been set apart for the Lord and he has brought life to this dead person, should somebody see that? And the answer is, absolutely. Absolutely. I've mentioned Lydia from time to time. Lydia, her friend, loves to go hiking. And the one thing that Lydia does well, besides hiking, because she comes back every time, so that's a good thing, is she takes lots and lots of pictures. And I love it because she'll be on a, on a mountaintop, and I don't mean just a hill, a mountaintop, and she'll look down and into the valley and you'll see this great forest. 
And then further down in her, betraying my age here, in her role of pictures, <laughs> you find her walking the paths in some of the trees. And you see these beautiful shots of sometimes uh, streams, rivers, sometimes waterfalls and all the, all the flora and sometimes some fauna. And, and you go, wow, isn't that beautiful? Well, we've been looking on things that are on this path. But now Paul says, let's back up onto the mountain and look down over the forest. And I want you to notice one thing I haven't really emphasized so far. Apostle Paul said this at the beginning. In him you were circumcised and you were baptized. So the statements that we've been making about circumcision and about baptism is an accomplished fact in you. And when I look around, I see this whole forest of changed lives. And that's the way it should be. And that's what Paul highlights here. All of this has been done by Christ in you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, sometimes we have practical applications of things to do. And there's some of that in this in living out the life. But it's more the realization of the fact that who we are in Christ. We are circumcised by a circumcision that Christ did in our lives and in our hearts. We are baptized by Christ, identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. And just as Christ lives, we are called on to live too. And we give thanks for this life that we have in Christ. How wonderful. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Talking about here. But I just want you to celebrate this relationship we have because of Christ. And as we come to share these elements, they speak of Jesus Christ's body broken for us and the fruit of the vine, his blood shed for us so we can enjoy the very things that we're talking about today in Colossians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how great is salvation. We may come to Christ as a youngster, believing the simple message, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. May not have known much more than that, other than he was a savior and we needed saving. But as we study your word, we look into your word, we start to appreciate the depth 
in the richness of this life that we have in you. And we want to give thanks. And we celebrate by sharing these elements, realizing that apart from the obedient heart of the Son, we would not have a heart change. And so we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you come, please. And Tom, would you lead us in prayer as we share the broken, unleavened bread? Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for the finished work on the cross, for all that you do for us in our lives, that you are the one that circumcised our hearts and that you paid the price that we can come and draw near to you. We thank you for this broken bread that we are about to partake of because we know that it represents the finished work you did. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. We take this first element and it's just broken cracker, but it speaks to Jesus Christ's body broken for us. The king of all glory was willing to let that happen to him in order to redeem you and me. Let's partake together in remembrance of him. The second element is the fruit of the vine, and then as Mike can lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you. We give glory to you. We thank you, Father, for the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, for the, the act of love of showing us and paying the price for us so that we can have the freedoms, the and the glory to, to, to be able to walk our lives out free and in your power. Lord, we, we just thank you that you love us so much and that we love you too. We love you so much that we ask that you would even help us every day to share the, your gospel message to those who do, so desperately need to hear it. Mm. This is what you put upon our heart, and we just pray that this would be so very strong in us to show this beautiful thing that you've done for us, that we can be bold and strong and show all those out there in this world around us your love for us and share your gospel message where you are worthy, and we praise you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
greatest salvation. Jesus Christ's blood shed on our behalf. How great a cost. What great love. Let's drink to that covenant in his blood. Then I ask the men to collect the cups if you wouldn't.